Dear God, we gather in your name, and we know that uh, we have confidence. The, the Bible tells us that when we do that, your Holy Spirit is with us. Lord, we feel your presence, and we're so, so thankful of that. Lord, we ask that uh, you guide my words, and uh, the words that are spoken are yours. The words that are heard uh, are taken uh, beyond these four walls and into this week and in the coming months. And guide us uh, as we learn to be the people that you want us to be. Now bless our time, and we turn it all over to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One life, catch the vision, be a stick. I'll explain the stick at the end. One life, catch the vision came from the, the program that we're going to study. And uh, several months ago, Gary Poole, Pastor Gary Poole, uh, come to this church and met with the joint board and presented his vision on what evangelism should be. And it's a very simplistic vision. Whenever we hear of evangelism and uh, going out and telling our story to people, we kind of cringe. I know I do. I'm not that type of person. I don't want to stand on the street corners, although I think I should and know I should. But it's not in my comfort zone. And we've talked many, many times about how God will ask you to go outside your comfort zone. And that's where the blessings lie, right? We don't have to do that with this program. We're going to follow the model that Jesus did, and we're going to, we're going to touch on uh, several scriptures, and if you looked at the bulletin, you thought, holy smokes, Doug, what are you going to do here today? But we're going to go through those scriptures very, very fast, and I'll get you out on time, or close to it. So what is 3D1 or One Life? It's probably faster to tell you what it isn't instead of what it is. It's not a quick turnaround of the church, and it shouldn't be looked at as a church-building project. That's not the goal. We're going to focus on one life, one friend, one person that you have in your house or at work or somebody that lives across the street and you're going to become a friend to them. You're going to build a relationship and through your actions and through your words and through prayer and opportunities that God presents to you and to them, you're going to follow Christ's leading and lead them closer to God. That's what it is. But the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to tell you why that's important. One of my favorite Bible stories, and we won't read that uh, totally. I'm just trying to go a little quicker. But it's the woman at the well. And Jesus gives us the example, the model of what one life is. They had to go back to Galilee. The pressure was getting on Jesus. He was baptizing people by the dozens, hundreds, thousands. And the Pharisees were worried about him. What's he doing? It's a, it's a threat to our authority. And it's outside of what our status, our rules are. And Jesus was a change maker, right? So he goes through Samaritan, or Samaria and meets a Samaritan woman. And he's there at noon, and she shouldn't have been there, right? So it, there's all kinds of things that tells you that this lady was outside what was even normal in Samaria. She didn't want to go in the morning when all the other women went there because she was outcast. But Jesus went there for a purpose, and I believe that purpose was to talk to that woman. 
She wasn't a saint by any means, right? She had all the baggage. Didn't feel worthy. She didn't feel worthy to be with the people that she lived with. But Jesus cultivated in that one moment enough of a relationship and told her who he was. And she believed it to be the first missionary to go back and tell her whole village what this one man did for her. And you know what kind of impact? You remember the impact she had? The whole village went and they spent two days with Jesus. One person. One time. One meeting with Jesus and that's all it takes. All it takes. Jesus was a relationship builder. And that's what one life is all about. Relationships. So... Let's go back and start giving you some facts of what One Life is. We already talked about Gary Poole coming here. And he actually went to IU and pastored a church up in uh, the Carmel area. And then went on to Chicago. And has pastored, been an evangelistic, uh, an evangelism pastor at every church he's been to. But with some success, obviously he was in big churches. With some resources, he had them, right? We have resources too. We're not a mega church and we probably will never be a mega church. Maybe we don't want to be a mega church. But we want to be one that's Christ focused, Christ centered, and one that tells the story of Jesus. And that's what we are. We are partnering with uh, the First Christian Church in Columbus and Crossroads Church in Elizabethtown. We're one of three churches in this area that's doing this. It's geared toward evangelism, but don't be afraid of that. It's not, you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to go out and knock on doors and try to be who you're not. We all have friends, we all have co-workers, and that's what we're going to focus on. It's about building relationships and being a friend. One of the things that I've learned over the years of training folks, not only uh, on how to run a machine, or in Bible studies or whatever, is to focus on why, not what and how. We're going to get into the what and how later, but why is important. Because if you don't understand why we're doing things, then it just becomes a program, right? You you just follow things because people are telling you to follow them. You don't really believe it, so we're going to focus on why. And if you ever get, have you ever heard of TED Talks? One of the best TED Talks that I've seen is by a, a man named Simon Sinek. And he talks about why and why telling people why you do things is important. And like he says in his words, in the employment industry, uh, if you don't focus on why, you get employees that come for the paycheck. Or in church, we get people to come because we think we need to come, right? But if you know why you come to church, you want to come to church, become a partner with the church, and you, you buy into that program. So that's what I'm going to try to do today. When you look at why you want to see what's the mission statement and stuff, and and this is a little bit sterile, but I want to start with that, and then we're going to dive into the Bible and see why it's important. The mission statement for One Life is to develop and execute a comprehensive church-wide evangelism strategic plan to inspire, equip, and mobilize every believer to a lifestyle of effective 
spiritual influence. There's nothing wrong with that mission statement, right? But we're not ready to go yet. I'm not ready to go. I don't know why. That, that's nice, but how? How does that apply to my life? So, I thought we better dig into the Bible and see what, what Jesus has taught and what the, um, the apostles, especially Paul, has written about why it's important. So, as you see uh, in your bulletin, and if we get up to the, uh, on the screen, Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one who, have, who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can, they, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I'm not saying that you preach to anybody. Sometimes that's the fastest way to get a door shut in your face, right? I'm not going to eat lunch with that guy or at least at that table because that's all he talks about. That's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm saying. Through our words and our actions and they see how we deal with problems or situations in our lives or maybe the language that we use can be that subtle difference to tell them that there's something different about how we act versus how someone else will act. And we've all been there, right? People know that you go to church. So eyes are on us. People watch us all the time. And that's okay. Because if we have, and we will, we'll stumble, right? We're, we're all human. You don't have to be perfect. But with, with God leading and us following him, we, we will be the difference makers. The last sentence is referring to us, and I love that. And let's, let's just read that again. Uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's a good reason why we're doing one life. Matthew 9, verse 37. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We're the workers. Sometimes we look out and we see, and we, all we see is a big field. And it's overwhelming. We can't do it all, right? Where do we even start? We're not asked to look at the field. And one life, that's what it is. Find somebody in your life and start building a relationship and start leading them to Jesus. Look around. In this congregation here today, if we each took one life and with God's leading and us trusting in our steps, how many lives could we change? And they may come to this church, they may not. But as long as they go to church, that's fine. As long as they know Jesus, that's the goal. It would be wonderful to touch 100 to 150 people, wouldn't it? And once they go, then we find somebody else. Jesus didn't stop with the woman at the well. He kept on going. He had thousands of people. Even when he ascended and at Pentecost, 3,000 people. With God, everything's possible. 
Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the Great Commission. You're familiar with this, I'm sure. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We've talked many, many times about the promises that God has in the Bible. And this is a promise that you can stand on. You will not go alone. Jesus follows you. Jesus is ahead of you. Jesus is beside you, behind you, above you, and below you. We think of space in our 3D world. And Jesus is far greater than a 3D world. One life, there's a mission field. We're called to go to the mission field. And we've talked about it a little bit. It could be here at church. It could be at work. It could be at home. It could be across the street. Sometimes it might be a brand new person that God puts in your life tomorrow. We've talked about the Holy Spirit walking with us and beside us. But one life puts this scripture into action. Love thy neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you find time to spend with that one person. Do you believe that God directs every step of every day of your life? I I like to think so. So if we think like that, then there's no coincidence that happens in your day that God didn't direct. And that should bring you comfort because he doesn't call you to fail. He calls you to succeed. And he's put that person in your life or made that connection in your life to be a friend, to build a relationship, to show people what God means to you and what is important to us. Sometimes he puts people in our lives so they can help us too. And that's important. It's important to let them do that for you. Because that's their mission field. You are their mission field. So, you have a relationship with God, right? You know who He is. You've accepted Him as your Savior. You're just right for this one life mission. You've been equipped. Now it's time to go. I want to read another scripture that tells why it's important. Uh, to God, and it's the parable of the lost sheep, Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the leaders and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and comes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I don't know of another scripture that drives the point home more clearly than how it is important enough for us to spend time with our one-on-one. More joy. That's hard to believe, isn't it? In our minds, we would think, I lost one, I still have 99. I'm not going to leave those because I might come back and I might have 80. That's not the way heaven works. God is patient for all those. He wants 100% of his people. And his people is not just here. His people is out there to come to heaven. He wants every one of us to be in heaven with him. Remember remember the woman at the well? Jesus could have went and it was a longer trek, but he didn't have to go through Samaria. But it was important enough for him to find her and to talk to her and to spend time with her. And through that, led to the salvation of that whole village. So people that are lost, people that are far away from God are just as important or maybe more so that they find their way back to God than any of us. And that's fine. I am perfectly fine with that. So I got a little story and I'll try to be fast. I have no idea what time it is, but I, I got to... <laughs> I want to drive this, this point home that it's going to be our story. It's, it shouldn't be anybody else's story, right? So I'm going to take you back until I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And Ed and mom and dad's going to probably appreciate this story better than me. And probably more so than you. We had sold most of our motorcycles, except my cat, an XR75. And I was a big motorcycle fan and uh, Evil Knievel was huge on TV and I just finished watching him on Wide World of Sports and I don't know what he was jumping, probably 15 buses or whatever but his son Robbie was, who is my age, before Evil did his jump, he's riding wheelies and standing up on both feet on the seat I thought there's no reason why Doug can't do that same thing (laughs) so Dad was cutting hay up about where my house is now, and we were supposed to be getting ready to uh, get the wagons out and everything else. So I told Ed and Mike that I'm going to jump on the motorcycle and I'm going to go up and see how Dad's doing. So our road was gravel at the time, but I had a clear path. You know, I hadn't graded it for a while. I'm going up the road and I'm thinking, Robbie Knievel. Got both feet up on the seat, and I'm trying to do a wheelie. Maybe I'm not going fast enough. So I kept going faster and faster. I didn't fall, but I didn't get a wheelie like I thought I was supposed to. So I found Dad, and he said, it's, it's fine. I'm going to be about a half hour, so get everybody ready. So I went back down the road trying to do the same thing. Still couldn't get a wheelie. But if you ever go into Mom and Dad's driveway, as you go up, and we call it the garden area, there's a, there's a hill and I thought, well, if I can't get a wheelie, I might as well jump. So both feet on the, on the seat, I jumped, and I landed. I mean, I, it was perfect, perfect. Turn around, nobody to see it. <laughs> so when we were growing up, 
the rule was if nobody witnessed it, it didn't happen. So the challenge was, I went back in, I said, did you guys see that? No, what, what are you talking about? I jumped that, that hill over there, and I stand up on the seat. Nah, didn't happen. So I went back and tried to, I told uh, Ed, I'll go and check on Dad one more time. You guys be outside, because I'm going to do it again. So I did it again. I didn't land it this time. Mom and, and Ed were out on the deck. Mike was standing there. And as I went up, something happened, and the bike started to tilt this way. And I tried to throw it away because I knew I was going to land uh, face first in the dirt. The bike falls this way, and the sprocket's setting up towards me. And I'm trying to put my hands out, and something tells you, you're going to cut your fingers off in this chain and the sprocket. So I do this, and I belly plant right on the, on the sprocket. All I can hear is laughter behind me. And I get up, and I, the wind's all knocked out of me, and I look, and I get a big old uh, grease spot on my shirt, peel my shirt up, and I'm just skinned like crazy. Mom goes, is he hurt? I go, I think I'm okay. She starts laughing too. <laughs> so the lesson of the story is, I'm not Robbie Knievel. I shouldn't have been trying to be Robbie Knievel. So the point that I'm trying to make is, don't tell anybody else's story. We all have our own testimony. We all know who God is. We all know who God is to us and what he's done for us. So that's the story that you need to tell. The Samaritan woman went back to the village and told her story. And that's a simple, a simple thing. We can tell that over and over again because it means so much to us. Romans 1, 16. You guys are on it up there. Thank you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So don't be afraid of being rejected. Sometimes when we go to our friend, it's not going to have the outcome that we think or that we thought. But you're sowing seeds anyway. It's not up to us. It's God that's going to take those seeds and move them forward and let them sprout. So there's no need of being afraid. It, it's all the glory goes to God and not us. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Like we said, nobody is supposed to be outside of heaven. The one life allows us to help people get close to making that decision themselves. So keep trying. And like I said, if the if the Interaction or the meeting with your friend or conversation didn't go like you thought, probably okay. Let God do that. Let God do the rest of the work. We probably won't accomplish it in a week, maybe a month or two, but God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? Our prayers never die, and that's those are words from Mark Batterson, and I know I keep bringing that up, but just a fantastic... Uh, preacher, and we have one here, and there's several that you can 
that you can uh, always go back to their words that mean so much to you. But our prayers never die. There's a, there's a story of a, of a mother who had nine kids, and her prayer was every day that all of her kids would accept Christ. And when she died, there were only half of them that had accepted Christ. But in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, those prayers were still being answered because they were coming back to church. Because of one person, he was in his 90s, and his neighbor across the street come and said, would you go to church with me? And for some reason he said yes, and the next week he was baptized. His mother's prayer was answered years after she had passed away. So keep praying, keep looking, keep talking. God never gives up. He is patient, he is kind. Now, I'm going to try to wrap it up here. So I want to go to Exodus chapter 15, 22 through 27, and we'll start to understand what being a stick is. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert ashore. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Then he came to Marah, and they could not drink the water because it was bitter. And that's why the place was called Myra. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. And in some translations it became sweet. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them to put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then uh, they came to Elam, where there where there were 12 streams and 70 palms, and they camped there near the water. Three days before, they were praising God and standing on the opposite side of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea or wherever you want to interpret that scripture, God had saved them from the the Egyptians. And a couple of days or the day before that, They were told to stand still. They believed God then. But three days in the desert, three days of trials, three days of testing, their faith had started to wait and questioning why in the world did we come out here? We don't have anything to drink. You think of that, and in today's society, we don't really understand that, but they had thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, 12 tribes, and all their livestock. So water was important to them. And God delivered. This was a Bible study from Ray Vanderlaan that the world may know, and some of you may remember that. In Ray's explanation of this scripture, he talks where some of, he kind of dramatizes how Moses may have been thinking. 
You mean my staff, Lord? The one that I used, that I raised up, that parted the Red Sea? No, not that one. Go get another piece of wood. Any piece of wood. And throw it into the water. So Ray's story, or lesson of this is, you're a piece of wood, you're a stick. When God tells you to do something and you go into the water or go into the lies, you take the bitterness out because I am with you. We can be a stick. As a matter of fact, we're called to be a stick. I often pray that people around me see you in my life when I'm talking to God through my words, through my actions, that I can be a good witness for God. And that's my prayer every day. Recently, I had a co-worker come up to me, and we had never, we, we talked about um, just life and, and, and basically work. I knew she had been going to church, but didn't know a whole lot about her. And I tell this story not only to show you how easily God puts people in your life. But we were, recently, we were out and finishing up a meeting and I had a sense that I was supposed to talk to her. But she made the first step. She came over to me and said, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. She goes, I know that you're a praying man. And I need your prayers. I said, sure. What, what's, what's the problem? If you don't mind me asking, if you don't want to tell me, you're fine. Because you're going to be in my prayers. And she said, I have stage three cancer. And I'm starting chemo and I don't know where my strength is going to come from. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll pray for you. But how about we pray right now? So I've been sending her prayers. And she's on our settle uh, group me. And I told her, I said, we can have 36 people praying for you today. And we did. Last Thursday, she had a test to see how her chemo was going. And the doctors were amazed. The tumors that she had in her lymph nodes are gone after four treatments. God is good. And those were her words. She said, God is good all the time. So Susan's coming closer to God through prayer. One life. Revelations 3, 14, through, or 14 and 20. To the church of Laodicea. To the angels of the church in Laodicea write... These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now I have two uh, points that I'd like to close on. We are not being asked to answer the door for our one life. 
That's not our job. That's God's job. But, on the second one, we are asked to help them get close enough to the door to hear the knock. That's us. Let's move them to the door. Be a stick. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time together. But most of all, we thank you for who you are and what you are about and the relationships that we have with you and the relationship that we have with others. Lord, this morning, we pray for faith. We pray for action. We pray for eyes to see the opportunities and the, the ears that are open to hear the call. Lord, we've said it many, many times. May those around us see you in us. Thank you for the blessings that come with being your child. All these things and more we pray in your name. Amen.